before we uh, get into our lesson today, I'd like to ask you a question. <clears throat> Do you believe in prayer? Do you believe that uh, what the Bible says, that even you, if you're filled with faith, you can speak into a mountain and it'll be removed? Yes. I do believe that. And uh, for those of you who are mountain-moving believers, I need you to help with something. And uh, yesterday, well, it was actually in the middle of the night, over in Cora, they had a, a landslide in the dump that, you know, the garbage dump that we support, you know, whole hundreds of kids in. And, you know, the church that we have over there, there's a landslide. And uh, well, 15 people we know are killed so far, and dozens and dozens are still trapped because they're excavating and removing this garbage dump that's been there for over 50 years. Some of it's been on fire. It's mountains of material, and it caved in. A lot of people live in little cardboard shanties and things like that. And we do not know at this moment if any of the kids uh, who we sponsor and all are involved in that at all, or if any of the people from the church we started over there are involved in it or not. We don't have that information as of yet. But, uh, you know, the people who are in their trap need some help right now. So if we could just take just a moment and pray for them, uh, I would appreciate that. <laughs> Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. And you said in your word we could speak into a mountain and it would be removed, whether it's a mountain of uh, financial problems, a mount, mountain of relational problems, a mountain of sickness. Lord, but we're talking about a mountain of garbage that is uh, caved in and slid down upon where people live. And we ask that you would help those who are there to rescue those that are in need right now. We ask that you protect all of our children, all of our uh, believers who are part of the Faith Living Church in Ethiopia, that you'd protect them and help them to be there ready to, to reach out and help others in great need. We ask you for a miracle, Lord, and you specialize in, in miracles. You, you hear us when we pray, and you have answered and blessed us in so many ways. So we join our faith together right now, as you said we could do in your word, and we ask that you would uh, help those in need over there in Korah in the name of Jesus. And all who agree with that says, amen. Okay. Well, we started uh, last week talking about loving. See, what do we call it? Oh, yeah, love out loud. You know, to love out loud. I mean, it's not something that's hidden but it's out loud. You know, it's not a secret, but it's out loud. Michael, he takes his family to see a movie or a sports event about every week. And when they come home, they build a fire and they make popcorn. Little Billy had made a real pest of himself at the movie and in the car on the way back home. So he was punished by being sent to his room. After building a fire and the family began popping popcorn, Dad went into Billy's room and he said, you go on out there with the others. I'll sit here in your room and take your punishment. Now, Dad's the one who gave the punishment. And Dad's the one who now is 
taking the punishment. That's, that's loving out loud. You know, that's a whole lot like what Jesus did for us. He created us and he gave us guidelines and rules, commands to live by. And when we have broken those or we've fallen short, that's why Jesus came here to this earth and went to a cross. And, uh, you know, he took our punishment when he was nailed to a cross. And the Bible says he descended into hell for three days. He took our punishment. God has loved us out loud. And, and everybody has heard about Jesus dying on the cross. But he did it if he was the only person on the planet because we have sinned and we, and we have fallen short. In the book of Romans, chapter 5, verse 7, it says, We can understand someone dying for a person worth dying for. You know anybody worth dying for? Somebody in your family? Guys, Take your head. You know, now I have told my family, and, and not in jest either, when we go hiking up on the mountain or all of my life, when, when my family is with me, and we're out adventuring in the, the wilderness somewhere, and whoever else happens to be with us, I said, listen, if we ever run anything, run into anything, lions and tigers and bears, oh my, I said, y'all get behind me. You know, and I'm sincere. I will stop the animal that's coming toward me. I'm prepared to do so, okay? But I have two plans of attack. If I fail to stop a bear who would be attacking my family, well, number two is I'm big enough that the bear would be full by the time he ate me and he wouldn't bother nobody else, okay? That's the way I look at it. But, and, and, and you dads know, and many of us know, you know, not just only my flesh and blood family, but uh, I'd be willing to die for just about any of you guys, you know, if we're put in a situation. And the Bible says this, there are some people just worth dying for. It says we can understand someone dying for a person worth dying for. And we can understand how someone good and noble could inspire us, you know, to self-sacrifice. Because they're, maybe they came up with a cure for cancer or something. It's like, you know, a person like that, they need to be around and help so many other people. And I'm, that's what the Bible is talking about. It says, you know, there are some worth dying for and, and some could inspire us for self-sacrifice. But it says in verse 8, but God put his love, God put his love on the line for us by offering his son, Jesus, in sacrificial death, while we were of no use whatsoever to him, while we were still selfish sinners, you know, that God laid his life on the line for us, and we didn't really deserve it. That's loving us out loud. That's mercy, and that's grace. We don't deserve it, but he forgives us, and he loves us, and he protects us. And Jesus was our whipping boy. He took the, the punishment for us. And then it tells us something over here, in John chapter 13, verse 34, Jesus says, So I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Jesus was willing to die for us. And then you and I must be willing to die. Maybe just to our own selfish ambitions at times but whatever it takes to love out loud, to love others the way Christ loved us. 
to love out loud, not just some little secret thing that's going on. Well, we pick back up over here in Romans 5, verse 9. It says, now that we are set right with God by means of his sacrificial death, the consummate blood sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross, there is no longer a question of us being at odds with God in any way. What Jesus did for us has brought us into a right relationship with Almighty God. We have been pardoned. Jesus took our punishment, and we have been pardoned and in a right relationship with Almighty God right now. Romans 8.31 says, So, <clears throat> what do you think? With God on our side like this, how can we lose? If God didn't hesitate to put everything on the line for us, embracing our condition, our sinful condition, embracing our condition and exposing himself to the worst by sending his own son. Is there anything else he would, wouldn't gladly and freely do for us? If he sent Jesus to the cross to pay for our sins so we could be forgiven and live with him in heaven one day, if God gave us his son, I mean, if you're hungry, you think he's going to provide you a sandwich? Is he going to meet all the other needs that we might have? Yes. And many of you have seen the, the good Lord work a miracle in your life and in the lives of your family and friends and all. And he's telling us that he loves us out loud, that if God would give his son to die for us, would he hold anything else back from us? No, because he loves us. He loves us out loud. He genuinely does. He goes on to say here, picking up in verse 33, and who would dare tangle with God? by messing with one of God's chosen. Do you think God is like me when I move my family up in the woods? You think God's out there to protect us when there's dangers around? Absolutely. He loves us out loud, and he says he sends his angels to protect us and deliver us and all. So it says here, verse 33, and who would dare tangle with God by messing with one of God's chosen? His children, you see. In verse 34, it says, who would dare even point a finger at God's kids? Romans chapter 5, verse 10 says, if when we were at our worst, just consumed in our selfish sin, it says, if when we were at our worst, we were put on friendly terms with God, remember Jesus died with us, not because we were so good, but even though we were sinful, he died for us. And if when we were at our worst, we were put on friendly terms with God by the sacrificial death of his son, Jesus, now, now that we're at our best, and what's our best? We're forgiven. We're forgiven. We have been pardoned of our sin. Now that we are at our best, just think of how our lives will expand, which means increase and grow and deepen to intensify by means of his resurrection life. The, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, he makes available to you and me to live with resurrection power so we can overcome the, the darkness that's in this world that tries to pull us down. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we can access that resurrection power. We don't have to live defeated, hopeless lives because what Christ has done for us so he goes on to say in verse 11, 
now that we have actually received this amazing friendship with God, we are no longer content to simply say it in plotting prose. Now, what's prose mean? It's poetry. You're exactly right. Plotting prose says, because of what Christ has done for us and we have a friendship with God, we no longer are content to say it with just a little poetry like roses are red, violets are blue, sugar is sweet, and God, so are you. <laughs> now, he says because of our friendship with God, we no longer are content to just say simple things like that to God. He goes on to say, we sing and shout our praise to God through Jesus, the Messiah. We sing and we shout it. When you know that Jesus was the Lamb of God, you know they used to sacrifice lambs years ago and the, the blood of the Lamb would cover over the people's sin for a year. But when Jesus came, remember what John the Baptist said? Behold, the Lamb of God. Talking about Jesus, the Lamb of God who, whose sacrifice doesn't cover our sin, but whose sacrifice once and for all washes our sin away. We're no longer content to say roses are red, Violets are blue. Sugar is sweet. And, and God, so are you. But it, it, it draws deep down within us shouts of praise, of, of awesome to, to our God, adoration for who he is and for what he's done for us because God loves us out loud. He loves us out loud and he meets our needs. He put us here and he cares for us as a loving father does. And he shall reign forever 
and ever and ever. John 3, 16, a very common passage to most people. It says, for God, he loved the world, that's you and me, so much that he gave his one and only son so that, what's that next word? Excuse me? What was that? That's better. For God so loved the world, that's us, so much that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life, eternal life. By putting our faith in him and receiving what he did for us, our sins are washed away and we are promised eternal life. Verse 17 says, God sent his son into the world not to judge the world. And some people think that, that God's up there for a great big old stick just ready to clobber us across the knuckles or on the top of the head if we step out of line. But that's not the God I'm talking about. That's false. God, he is love and he loves us. He sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Luke 23 verse 34 says, and Jesus is talking here. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. The people who beat him horribly, the people who nailed him to a cross, the people who built, uh, uh, you know, pounded a crown of thorns down on top of his head, and all the religious leaders who were Condemning him to die as Jesus hung on that cross, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's loving us out loud. Have you ever forgiven somebody who hurt you? Well, if you haven't had opportunity to do that, you will one day. But see, that's loving out loud, forgiving somebody who doesn't deserve to be forgiven. Because God's forgiven us. He forgave the people who nailed him to a cross. Did they really deserve it? I don't think so. But Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. See, God accepts us just as we are. Now, he's not going to leave us as we are. But he accepts us just the way we are because he loves us. And then he helps to transform us and to change us. That's what he does. It says in Ephesians 1, 6, it says, To the praise of the glory of his grace by which... He made us accepted in the beloved. When we're in a relationship with Christ, Almighty God the Father accepts us because of our faith in Jesus Christ. And isn't that what everybody on this planet needs to be loved and accepted? Does God accept you even when you've done something wrong? He loves you and he accepts you and he forgives you. And he loves us out loud. There may be a family member that you know of that you're ashamed of, but God is not ashamed of you. He is not ashamed of you. He loves you, and he loves you out loud. He genuinely does. First um, John chapter 4, verse, five, it's, uh, verse 15, it says, All who proclaim that Jesus is the Son of God. And see, some people believe that Jesus was a, a good teacher, some believe he's a good man. He may be a prophet or, or something, but they don't believe he's the son of God. It says, <clears throat> all who proclaim that Jesus is the son of God, they have God living in them. 
When you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and you proclaim it, God moves in. He lives in you, and they live in God in this relationship. Verse 16 says, we know how much God loves us, and we, put, and we have put our trust in him. God is love. He doesn't just love us. He is love. God is not hate. God is love. He's not just, well, that's somebody who loves us. No, God is love. It says, and we put our trust in him. God is love. And all who live in love live in God. And God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love does what? Verse 17 says, and as we live in God, our love, it grows more perfect. We're talking about love out loud. As we live in God, our love grows louder, more demonstrated, more demonstrative as we love, not just with words, but with our actions. And as we live, verse 17 says, in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we are like Christ here in this world. And he is love, and he is merciful, and he is forgiving. And it says, and we are like him in this world. God loves us out loud, and let us love one another out loud, not hiding it, but demonstrating our love. James chapter 1, verse 17, it says, whatever is good and perfect. Have you ever had anything good happen to you? Once or twice? Even the fact that the sun shines today? And some people got up this morning, oh, this is a terrible day. You know how cold it is outside? I mean, that's something to fuss about, right? Or could we possibly go, God has given us the wisdom and the insight how to have furnaces in our homes and probably in our automobiles. How many of you are thankful for heat? The Bible tells us here, whatever is good and perfect comes down to us from God, our Father. So every good thing that you have in a relationship, physically, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, financially, every good thing that you have, God gave it to you, is an expression of his love. He loves us out loud with the beauty and the provisions that he has made for us. One day... St. Francis of Assisi said to one of the young monks who was with him, he said, let us go down to the town and preach. The novice, delighted to be singled out to be a companion with Francis, so he obeyed with eagerness. And they passed through the main streets. They turned down many of the side streets and alleys. They made their way into the suburbs, and at great length, they returned by an indirect, meandering, you know, winding route back to the monastery gate. And as they approached the gate, the younger man reminded Francis of his original intention. He says, uh, you have forgotten, uh, Father, that, that we went to town to preach. My son Francis replied, we have preached. We were preaching while we were walking. We have been seen by many. Our behavior has been closely watched. 
And you got to be on your best guard because there are always people watching you. It was thus we preached our morning sermon. It is of no use, my son, to walk anywhere to preach unless we preach everywhere as we walk. Our actions preach louder than our words. So we love people out loud. Whether you're standing in a pulpit or whether you're in a grocery store line and you say, hey, you just got a, a, an item or two, why don't you go ahead of me? That's loving out loud, is it not? And, and we communicate God's love by our actions. I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. I'd rather one would walk with me than merely show the way. The eyes, a better pupil and much sharper than the ear. Fine counsel can confuse me, but an example is always clear. The lectures you deliver may be very wise and true, but I'd rather get my lesson by observing what you do. Author's unknown to that, but it's relevant to us. We communicate so much by our actions every day as people are watching us as well as hearing us. Romans chapter 12, verse 9 says, don't just pretend. He's saying here, don't fake it. Don't just pretend that you love others. Really love them. Do we ever pretend? Do we pretend anything? Oh, maybe the reason I have this beard, maybe I'm pretending to be a mountain man. You know? Maybe we wear football or baseball or basketball, you know, clothing or caps because we're pretending to be a great, you know, player. Are there other things that we pretend? We watch movies that inspire us and we pretend to be like those people sometimes. We, we kind of sometimes live in a little fantasy world, possibly. But the Bible says, don't just pretend that you love others. Really love them. Love people out loud. Don't hold it back. Don't be ashamed. Love them for real. Hate what is wrong, he says. Stand on the side of the good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Now, I need a volunteer. Promise I won't hurt you, but I need a volunteer. I can begin to draft people if you don't volunteer. Okay. Would you grab somebody else on the way up? Anybody. Grab somebody. I need four people, actually. And you have to respond to the kind lady. Okay, there's three. Grab somebody else, Mark. Come on, Grace. Okay, come on. Thank you. Let's give them an applause to kind of encourage them a little bit here. Come on up here. Come on up. Okay, I want you to stand right over here. Okay. And Grace, you stand right here. And, and uh, um, Sue, I want you. Yeah, whatever your name is. And, and Mark. Okay. Now I want to read you something. And, and y'all turn and face the, the congregation so they can see your beautiful faces, okay? Y'all know about Connecticut, right? Y'all heard of Connecticut? Y'all familiar with New York? Is that right? What about Massachusetts? 
Vermont, New Hampshire. So where, where, where are you moving to? Maine. Maine. That's going really cold country. No, it's about the same. It's about the same? It's not what I heard. <laughs> okay. Yeah, wonderful. Maybe when you'll get there, if you get more, you'll send some down fast, you know, right? Yeah. Okay. So you've heard of these states, right? Have you ever heard of the land of no elbows? Come work with me here. This is an imaginary land, okay? Use a little make-believe going on here if you can. So imagine these people are from the land of no elbows. Can you imagine this for a moment? Okay, now what would you look like if you have an elbow? Okay? Because even if that was permanent, that's still an elbow, but that is the way you would look if you had no elbows. Now, are you, are you talking while I'm talking? <laughs> Imagine your lips didn't work either. I'm teasing. I'm, I'm teasing. I don't know what the land of what? No elbows. Oh, these no things elbows. right here. These things here. Okay. So you look like this, okay? All right. Now, in one of, the, one of the areas, there's two groups of people who live in the land of no elbows. And there's a group of people, and we're going to start up over here uh, with Sue and, and Mark, that the people are very thin in the land of no elbows. There's two groups. But, but, but they're kind of weak and, and sickly, you know, in this land of no elbows. And, uh, okay, now, I have some pizza here, and you're hungry. How are you going to get this pizza here? You bent your elbow. Yeah. Okay, now that's good. So he's just going to get right into it. Man after my own heart. But then he's got pizza all over him, okay? And how are you going to eat it? Oh, I'm going to give it to him. No, no. no. You, you, have, you, keep bending, you keep bending your elbow. Okay. All right. Okay. So that's why you can see they're struggling. Can you imagine what their homes look like? Can you imagine driving a car and, and all the things you got to do with no elbows? It, you know, it's a, it's a struggle, right? I mean, I mean you, you, you can't, to hammer something, you know, it can be quite, quite difficult. But now over here, the people in this part of the, the land with no elbows, they're healthy, they're thriving, they're strong. So how would you survive in the land of no elbows? You've been in your elbows. Oh. Yeah, keep it straight. So here's some food. Okay. So what would you do? And th there's no rules here. How would you help her to be healthy? Hmm. Let's grab a hold of this. You can, your fingers work. Oh. Okay, you got your fingers. Don't bend your elbows. Okay, now what would you do? Eat. Well, and you can eat all you wanted. Uh -huh. And you're not shoving it down her throat or nothing like that. And if you were going to build something, a hammer and nail, you know, you, you might would hold the nail, and she might come over with a hammer. And but do you see, working together, serving each other, you would be a lot healthier than if if you imagine and try this one day. Try it today, maybe. Just go through the whole day long without bending your elbow. <laughs> you go like, if I was really that way, I would want someone to serve me, and I would serve them. Now, all these guys are really good guys, okay? 
But so y'all got converted. You got your elbows back now, you know, and everything. But give them a grand applause for helping me out here. Okay, let me read this verse again. It says, love each other with genuine affection. And we're loving out loud. If someone's struggling, getting something to eat because they don't have an elbow, well, we can pick up something and, and help to serve them. Do we really serve one another? If we're not thinking of others, well, we struggle. We do everything on our own. And if you didn't have an elbow, it'd be, it'd be hard to, to really be healthy or to build and accomplish very much. But it says, love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. It says, never be lazy in your work, but serve the Lord enthusiastically. And one of the ways we serve the Lord is by serving one another. Many of y'all serve here in the church. You know, the last couple of weeks, we've had a whole bunch of the, the guys and one lady who've come down. I don't know if you've been downstairs but our, our downstairs is about twice the size of it was. We've torn out these people who've been serving the Lord by serving us, have tore out a lot of walls, and, and we're fixing it up downstairs so we have a bigger and a better place to serve others when there's a need there. So it says, never be lazy in your work, but serve the Lord enthusiastically. Be glad for all God's planning for you, and be patient in trouble, and always prayerful. When God's children are in need, you ever see people have needs? When God's people are in need, be the one to help them out. It's very easy to go, when you see a need, uh, well, why don't you go help them? Oh, why don't you, you go help them? But the scripture says, when God's children are in need, be the one to help them out and get into the habit of inviting guests home for dinner. Actually, what y'all having for dinner today? Okay, is it gluten-free? Okay, I can come over and watch y'all eat, right? I'm teasing you. But you hear what it says? It says, and get into the habit, the habit of inviting guests home for dinner or if they need lodging for the night. That would be loving someone out loud to provide a meal for someone, or if someone for some reason didn't have a place, you would invite them home. If you say, I don't have a place, well, then you'd put them up for a night somewhere. That's loving out loud. It cost us something. It cost Jesus his life for us, did it not? So maybe it cost us a little bit in some way to love somebody else out loud. And it says in verse 14, if people persecute you because you are a Christian, don't curse them. But pray that God will bless them. And they say, well, that's not natural, Pastor. You're right. It's supernatural. See, we have a choice to operate in the supernatural. When someone slaps you naturally, you want to poke them back. But supernatural is to forgive them and to bless them. He goes on to say in verse 15, when others are happy, what do we do? Oh, they're happy they got a new car. And, and, and maybe we're selfish. Maybe we envy them. Oh, how come I didn't get a new car? But he says, when others are happy, be happy with them. And if they're sad, share their sorrow. That's loving out loud, you see. Live in harmony with each other. And don't try to act important. 
but enjoy the company of ordinary people. Acknowledge how important other people really are. Instead of us trying to act like we're important, we are so important when we're loving out loud other people, you see. So it says, don't try to act important, but enjoy the company of ordinary people and don't think you know it all. Why? Because you don't. Does, does anybody here know it all? I have a wise group of people here today. And all you guys out there watching online, all you guys down in the, the overflow downstairs in the cafe, I'm sure no hands went up there. We don't know it all. We're always willing to learn. Hmm. Well, you know, I have so much stuff to share, but I want to read you a story. Is that okay? It's a long story. But, you know, I wouldn't bother to read this story to you if I didn't feel it was really important. This is going to call for glasses. When I was in high school, when I was in high school, I met a guy named Randy. Randy had three things that I didn't have. A Triumph motorcycle, a beard, and a girlfriend. I just, it just didn't seem fair. I wanted all three in ascending order. And I asked around and I found out that Randy didn't even go to the high school. He just hung out there. I had heard about guys like that, and I figured I should keep my distance. So I did. Well, later, I heard that Randy was a Christian, and he worked with an outfit called Young Life. I didn't know much about any of that stuff, but it helped to explain the beard and made it okay that he was hanging out at the high school. I guess Randy never uh, offered me a ride on his motorcycle, but he did try to engage me in discussion about Jesus. I kept him at arm's length, but that didn't seem to chill his interest in finding out who I was and what I was about. I figured maybe he didn't know anyone his own age, so we eventually became friends. I was a lousy student and I found out that I could take a test to get a certificate that was the equivalent to a high school diploma. I couldn't figure out how to sign up for the test, though, which on reflection was a pretty good indicator that I should stay in high school a little longer. My plan was to move to Yosemite and spend my days climbing the massive granite cliffs. At six foot four inches, 220 pounds, I didn't really have the rock climbers build. And I wonder what made me think that there was a rock climber inside me. So when you're in high school, you don't give much thought to what you can't do. For most people, that gets learned later. And for still fewer, gets unlearned for the rest of life. At the beginning of my junior year, I decided it was time to leave high school and make the move to Yosemite. I had a down vest, two red bandanas, a pair of rock climbing shoes, $75, and a Volkswagen bug. What else did I need? I'd find work in the valley and spend my off time in the mountains. 
more out of courtesy than anything, I swung by Randy's house first thing on Sunday morning to say goodbye and to let him know I was leaving. I knocked on the door, and after a long couple of minutes, Randy answered. <clears throat> he was groggy and bedheaded. I had obviously woke, uh, woke him up, and I gave him the rundown of what I was doing. All the while, Randy stood patiently in the doorway, trying his best to suppress a puzzled expression. You're, you're leaving soon? He asked when I'd finished. Yeah, right now, actually. I said as I, I straightened and straightened my back and I bared my chest to show that I'm in business. Look, Randy, it's time for me to get out of here. I just came by to say thank you for hanging out with me and being a great friend. Randy kept his earnest and concerned face, but he didn't say a word. Oh, hey, I inserted, will you tell your girlfriend goodbye for me too? You know, when you see her next... And again, no word from Randy. He had this weird, faraway look on his face, like he was looking right through me. He snapped back into our conversation. Hey, Bob, would you wait here for a second while I check something out? <clears throat> no sweat, Randy. I had nothing but time now. What did I care? Randy disappeared for a few moments into the house while I stood awkwardly on the porch with my hands in my pocket. When he came back to the door, he had a tattered backpack hanging over his shoulder by one frayed strap and a sleeping bag under his arm. He was focused and direct. All he said was, Bob, I'm with you. Something in his words rang right through me. He didn't lecture me about how I was blowing it and throwing opportunities away by leaving high school. He didn't tell me I was a fool and that my idea would fall off the tracks on the way to the launch pad. He didn't tell me I would surely crater even if I did briefly lift off. He didn't tell me that. He was resolute, unequivocal. He had no agenda. He was with me. Despite the kind gesture, it was pretty odd to think that he wanted to come along. Um, sure, I guess, I said half-heartedly. You sure? Yeah, Bob, I'm in. If you wouldn't mind, what if I called a ride with you? Uh, Randy stood with a determined look. So, so, so let me get this straight. You want to drive to Yosemite with me right now? Yep, that's right. I can find my way back after we get there, and you can, after you get settled in. I'm not sure why I accepted Randy's gesture of self-invitation. I guess it's because it caught me totally off guard. No one had ever expressed any interest in me like that before. Sure, I stammered as we both stood awkwardly on the, the porch. Um, I guess we better get going then. And with that, Randy closed the door to his little house, and we walked side by side to my Volkswagen bug. He plopped into the passenger seat and threw his stuff on top of mine in the back seat. We got to Yosemite before nightfall, and it occurred to me for the first time we had no place to stay. We had a couple of sleeping bags, no tent, and very little money. So we snuck in through the back of a platform tent that is set up in the campground to pay per night camping. 
we slept toward the back of the tent so we could make our escape if an upstanding tent renter showed up for the night. Fortunately, no one came. And the next morning we woke up to a chilly, glorious morning in Yosemite Valley. To the north of us, El Captain soared 3,000 feet straight up like a huge granite soldier. Half Dome dominated the landscape to the east. These were my companions. This was my cathedral. I was in the valley wide living room of my new home. Now it was time to get a job and settle in. I rolled over in my sleeping bag <clears throat> thinking about how great it was to have Randy with me. I, I was a little nervous, but also excited about my newfound freedom. I was a man now. I felt my chin for any sign of whiskers. Nothing yet, but I shaved anyway, just in case. Randy and I dusted off the stiffness that comes when tent camping and went to the Camp Curry Company cafeteria. I thought I could get a job flipping pancakes in the mornings, which would leave the rest of the day for climbing. I finished the job application in front of the manager, handed it to him, and he gave it right back, sternly shaking his head no. He didn't even pretend to be interested, but I was secretly thankful he at least humored me enough to let me apply. No matter, undaunted, I went to one of the rock climbing outfitters with storefront in the valley, and I told them I'd do whatever they needed. I was sure that I, I lacked what I lacked in experience, I could make up for by what I lacked in maturity or raw intelligence. They said that they didn't have any work for me either and that jobs were tight right now and almost impossible to get in the valley. I walked out of the store discouraged and looked at Randy, who was leaning against the Volkswagen. Rather than feeding my discouragement and saying, I told you so, Randy fed my soul with words of truth and perspective. Bob, you can do anything if you want. You have the stuff it takes to pull it off. These guys don't know what they're missing. Let's try a few more places. And then just like he had said the day before on the porch, Randy reiterated his statement. Either way, Bob, I'm with you. His words gave me tremendous comfort. I applied at nearly every business in the valley and struck out every time. There were simply no jobs available and no hope of one opening up soon. The evening approached as the sun sank low in the hills. It was one of those sunsets displaying the kind of vibrant colors that would have made a painter's canvas look over ambitious. But I was still heartened this sunset was real. I was in Yosemite. My friend was with me, and I still had a shot at my dream. Randy and I headed back to the campsite and snuck into the same tent we had camped in and commandeered the night before. I didn't sleep well or long. As I sorted through my very short list of options, there was no work. I had no money. I was a high school dropout, and Randy snored. And I had to go to the bathroom. That about covered my list of problems from least to greatest. The next morning came with a crispness that only fueled my anxiety. Randy stirred 
next to me in his sleeping bag, gave a couple of coughs and said in a much too cheery voice, let's go climb some rocks. So we headed to the foot of one of the cliffs and bouldered for a couple of hours, talking about uh, each other and how much better we were at climbing than the other. By midday, we headed back to the valley to see if any business had miraculously decided to expand their operation overnight. It felt like the shop owners had quietly met somewhere when they learned that I was arriving in the valley and they were conspiring against me to dash my dreams. The same rocks that I had come to climb were now beginning to look like barricades. I applied at the remaining small storefronts I hadn't tried the day before. Do I need to waste my breath to tell you what happened? Randy and I sat on the front bumper of my Volkswagen Bug and leaned back against the flimsy and slightly rusted hood that buckled slightly under our weight. The sun was getting low in the valley again, and the granite cliffs that I had hoped to count as neighbors were casting long, dark shadows on the ground, each of them uh, deepening shadows pointing toward the road exiting the valley. I only had a few bucks left after buying gas, and Randy offered to spring for dinner. As we walked back out to the car after eating, I turned to Randy and said, you know, Randy, you've been great coming with me and everything, but it looks like I'm striking out. I think I'll do what I'll do is head back and finish up my high school. And after a short pause, Randy said again what he had become, a, what had become a comfort to me throughout the trip. Man, whatever you decide, just know that either way, I'm with you, Bob. Randy had been with me, and I could tell that he was with me in spirit as much as he was in presence. He committed, he was committed to me, and he believed in me. I wasn't a project, I was a friend. I wondered if maybe all Christians operated this way. I didn't think so because most of them that I had met up to this time were kind of wimpy and seemed to have more options about what or who they were against than who they were for. Without much more discussion, Randy and I exchanged a silent look and a nod, which meant we were done. Without a word spoken, I hopped in the driver's seat of the car Randy hopped in the passenger seat, and we followed the path cast by those long shadows the day before I was going back home and to school. We didn't make much, uh, we didn't talk much as we left Yosemite Valley. As, as for much, we didn't talk much on the way home, for that matter. A dream of mine had just checked into hospice, and Randy was sensitive enough to know that I needed some time to think. So we drove five or six hours. Every once in a while, Randy would check in on me with his confident and upbeat voice. Hey, how you doing there, Bob? We pulled down some familiar streets and into Randy's driveway. There was another car in the driveway next to Randy's that looked like his girlfriend's. Well, she visited often. We walked up to the front door and opened it and I walked in behind Randy. I was uninvited, but somehow I, I still felt welcome. <laughs> and on the floor, I noticed a stack of plates and some wrapping paper, a coffee maker, some glasses, 
On the couch was a microwave, half in a box. I didn't understand it at first. Had Randy just had a birthday? Was it his girlfriend's birthday? A microwave seemed like a weird way to celebrate someone's arrival into the world. But I knew Randy wasn't moving because there wouldn't be wrapping paper. And then from around the corner, the other half of this couple bounded out and threw her arms around Randy. Welcome home, honey. And then the nickel dropped. I felt both sick and choked up in an instant. I realized that these were wedding presents on the floor. Randy and his girlfriend had just gotten married. And when I had knocked on Randy's door on that Sunday morning, Randy didn't see just a high school kid who had disrupted the beginning of his marriage. He saw a kid who was about to jump the tracks. Instead of spending the early days of his marriage with his bride, he spent it with me, sneaking into the back of a tent. Why? It was because Randy loved me. He saw the need, and he did something about it. He didn't just say he was for me or with me. He was actually present with me. What I learned from Randy changed my view permanently about what it meant to have a friendship with Jesus. I learned that faith isn't about knowing all of the right stuff or obeying a list of rules. It's something more, something more costly because it involves being present and making a sacrifice. Perhaps that's why Jesus is sometimes called Emmanuel, which means God with us. I think that's what God had in mind for Jesus to be present, to just be with us. It's also what he has in mind for us when it comes to other people. The world can make you think that love can be picked up at a garage sale or enveloped in a Hallmark card, but the kind of love that God created and demonstrated is a costly one because it involves sacrifice and presence. It's a love that operates more like a sign language than being spoken outright. What I learned from Randy about the brand of love Jesus offers is that it's more about presence than undertaking a project. It's a brand of love that doesn't just think about good things or agree with them or talk about them. What I learned from Randy reinforced the simple truth that continues to weave itself into the tapestry of great, every great story Randy loved. Would you be willing to spend your honeymoon driving across country in a Volkswagen with just a few dollars in your pocket and a high school dropout? Think about it. What Randy did was love Bob out loud. Didn't lecture him. Didn't condemn him. He just loved him. See, God's been loving us out loud. Doesn't God forgive us? Doesn't God tell us, hey, you can do this? He gave us a passage that says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 
And Jesus spoke to us. He says, I will never leave you and I'll never forsake you. God's with us. He promised that. He would always be with us. And he's given us a book to, to cheer us up, to encourage us. It's like a map. It's direction. But he's there loving us and caring for us all the time. So what I'd like to do is just take a moment right now before we close. And I'd like us just to bow our heads together. I want to pray for you. And give you an opportunity also. Because Jesus is knocking at the door of our heart. He wants to be with us. And give us that opportunity to welcome him into our lives. So, Father, I, I ask that you would bless each man, woman, boy, and girl who is here in this building, upstairs and downstairs, that you'd bless those who are watching online, and you'd reveal yourself to us in an awesome way, and that we would sense your presence, that we'd recognize that we're not alone, no matter what we're going through, good or bad, but you're always there with us. Father, reveal yourself to us in such a way that we'll begin to love other people out loud. That you can love them through us. And we'll not be so quick to condemn or to criticize or put people down. But we'll be quick to accept people and love them out loud. The same way you accept us and love us. We know that you change us in time. And we're open to that because you love us so much. So as our heads are still bowed, would you join me in a simple prayer to invite Christ into your life or maybe you already know him to reaffirm your faith in him today. Would you pray? Dear Heavenly Father, I believe that you love me. And I believe that Jesus gave his life for me. And I believe that Jesus rose from the dead and that he's knocking at the door of my heart. And I open that door right now. And I welcome Jesus into my life as my Savior, as my Lord, and as my soon-coming King. I am sorry for my sinful ways. And I reach out and receive your pardon. I receive your forgiveness. And I dedicate the rest of my life to living for you. Have your way in me, Lord, and help me to love others the way you love me. Help me to love out loud. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Now, we're going to leave in just a couple of moments, but uh, let's see. Do I have a, a weekly challenge? Somebody have a weekly challenge, a little uh, connection Thank you. It simply says, and if you agree with this, just check it off, drop it in the tithe box. It says, I am determined to grow in my love for God and my love for his people and to love them out loud. If that's you, say, I really want to love people more. I want to really love God more. I want to learn to love out loud. And you're just kind of making a commitment by putting a check there and dropping it in there and just saying, yep, Pastor Ron, that's what I'm going to do also in this coming week. 
So if you agree with that, sign it, drop it in. And if you uh, prayed with us just a couple of moments ago and you welcome Christ into your life, at the connections desk back there, we got a little gift bag. And in that gift bag is a Bible and some other little things that would inspire your faith in God and hopefully help you along. It's all free. Just stop by and pick that up. Tell them how you want that gift bag, Pastor, I'm talking about. And also, if you're a guest, we have a beautiful gift for you. Just one of our ways of saying thank you so much for coming. We hope you come back. And uh, they'll give that to you. If you need some prayer, there'll be some folks around the altar up here who'll be willing to pray for you, ask God's blessings on you. And the God that we serve, he still answers prayer. He genuinely does. And uh, at this point, I'm going to dismiss you. And if you are familiar with... uh, Joe and, and Sue here who are moving to Maine. I can't believe they would leave us, you know, but I'm teasing, you know that, right? But we're going to pray over them as they get ready to move sincerely to Maine. And uh, Sue, how many years you been here? Uh, 31. 31 years. It's pretty cool. <laughs> Hung in here for 31 years. That's awesome. But we're going to pray over you. So the rest of you, if you all know those folks there and you'd like to join us as we pray over them, you can join us. The rest of you, God bless you. You are dismissed. You guys, come on up.